You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in five, four, three, two. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This podcast is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today I have Melissa Ryant on with me for our third episode of HD Uncut, and we are going to be talking about symptom hunting. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Melissa. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Always love to be here. Yeah. So before we get into symptom hunting, um, would you go ahead and share your story so people know kind of your background with HD? Yeah. Um, so my mom had Huntington's. Um, she was the first person in my family to be diagnosed. And she was diagnosed when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, so she started symptoms pretty early. Um, and so my earliest memories are of her are a lot of these like out of character, angry outbursts um, and uh, mood changes. So I grew up and you know, I took care of her for a couple of years and then she was institutionalized and then bounced around a lot of nursing homes. Um, she passed away in 2008. Uh, she was 59. And for me, my entire life, I knew I had Huntington's. Like there wasn't a question in my mind. Um, my mom is my soulmate. Like we're identical in every way, shape and form. And, um, you know, I was clumsy. I was forgetful. I my, my foot would twitch uncontrollably and, you know, but for me, it wasn't a point of anxiety. I was just like, oh, this is normal. Like, of course I'm going to have HD. Like, why wouldn't I have HD? Um, I ended up testing when I was 24 and finding out I was gene negative, uh, which was really confusing. Um, and it's still something I kind of struggle with to this day. And, um, yeah, so, um, fortunately, um, my three siblings are all gene positive, two are symptomatic, I'm a caregiver for one now. Um, and I, shortly after testing, I got really involved with HDSA. I was on the board for the National Youth Alliance for six years. So I've been like a very heavily involved advocate. Um, and yeah, and um, I'm also engaged to someone who's at risk. So can't get enough of it, I suppose. <laughs> Part of a life sometimes. Yep. <laughs> I got to ask, like, how hard is it? I mean, you found out when you were like, you, your mom was sick pretty much the whole time you were alive. How hard is it now to be a, a caregiver for your sibling? Um, I think it's tough because I never considered myself a caregiver growing up. Like I just, of course you tie your mom's shoes and you, and you make mac and cheese for dinner and you know, yeah, that's normal. Um, and I think when I got involved with the NYA and someone asked me to be on a panel about being a young caregiver and I was like, that's not me. I wasn't. And they're like, yeah, you were. Um, and so I think in my adult life, it's been strange because as a child, it was 
you know, all of the um, adult stuff, I guess, happened behind the curtain, you know, and I was just, I just had the, the compassion and the love for my mom to, you know, clean up after a coffee spills and like I said, tie her shoe or like help her down the stairs. And as an adult, I realized there was a whole nother side of stuff that at the time the adults in my life were dealing with. My, my half brother was my mom's legal guardian. Um, and that's who I'm a caregiver for now. So when we relocated him, it was like, okay, we got to get all the finances in order. And like, we had to get rid of the car and file bankruptcy and then apply for social security disability and all this stuff, which was like very overwhelming. And that was during COVID too. That was when I moved to a new state. So I think overall it was just a really overwhelming time. And, um, and now it's balanced out and I'm grateful to have a partner that, um, um, sometimes when it's too much for me, she can kind of take the reins. And when it's too much for her, I can take the reins. Um, so the initial, like getting all those things in place have been good. And now we've kind of been, um, been kind of smooth sailing for a bit. And I know eventually we're going to hit more bumps and there's going to be changes along the way. Um, but it's definitely been, um, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird perspective to change from like, you know, growing up as a kid and I was like, oh, it's normal. And like, everything's fine. zippity doo da. And <laughs> then you're an adult and you're like, okay, well I need FMLA because sometimes I have to take off because something happened to my brother and, um, you know, all the, all the great things that come along with being an adult. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't realize about that FMLA and, and how real it is that you're going to need it, um, as a mm -hmm. caregiver. So, and how they fight you on it, um, as well. Well, some places do. So, um, yeah good point. Um, so one of the things that we struggle with, we, you know, we recently had, um, an education day in North Carolina, um, that HD reach put on and, um, it was really great. Uh, we really looked at some topics that are not talked about often. Um, and one of the things that we got to talk about was symptom hunting. Um, can you explain a little bit about what it is? So symptom hunting, we kind of talked about, you know, whether you are yourself gene positive, even gene negative or at risk, or whether you're a, a loved one, family, friend, stranger on the street um, who finds out about it and is looking at you funny because you, you're tripping and walking weird. Um, so that, there's definitely a general breadth, but specifically kind of looking at people who are at risk uh, for Huntington's or if they test gene negative, gene positive and kind of what that's like living through life and hitting those periods of symptom hunting and thinking, you know, as soon as you like forgot where you left your keys, you're like, well, that's it. All right. Who needs a test? That's Huntington's. Um, or, <laughs> you know, you start going through like a lot of emotional changes, which is something I experienced. And I'm like, okay, well, someone in a lab screwed up because clearly I have Huntington's, you know? Um, so I think it's just, um, the difficulties that happen in day-to-day -day life and how to determine, whether it's you are at risk, like when is that too much that testing is the answer and the relief that you'll have, whether or not you're gene negative or gene positive. Um, and then for someone who is gene positive, being able to manage that in a way where you can continue to, you know, live your life to the fullest um, and try to create enough self-awareness and, um, you know, we talked a lot to, we'll get to, I'm sure is like giving permission, um, to friends and family to symptom hunt for you, because, um, I think in this community, especially we're victim to a lot of unsolicited opinions 
Um, many people told me what they thought about me getting tested and what they would do. Um, and we know it's different if you haven't experienced or been in this realm. So I think for, for symptom hunting from family and friends, I think it's really important to kind of give permission and being able to set a boundary to people who are like, oh, yeah, it looks like you're getting kind of pissy again. I mean, you know, and I, what's going to happen to someone when you say that they're going to get more pissy and then they're going to flip and then you're gonna be like, yep, that's it. And, um, so I think being able to create those boundaries, um, is really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll discuss that in, in more depth, um, in just a minute. Um, but thank you for describing it, um, to give you guys an idea, like Melissa was saying, it's not just gene positive who deal with symptom hunting. You've got gene negative at risk who, who are dealing with it. You've got the caregivers who are dealing with it, right? Because they want to know, um, when their loved ones start showing symptoms and they may see something before the person does, um, if they're not as aware of stuff going on. Um, and I just wanted to share personally, like as a, as a gene positive person, I did it a lot. You know, I, I got tested at the age of 20 and immediately what it was, oh my God, I, I tripped on the stairs. I must have HD. I walked into the wall. I must have HD. I got angry at my husband for something that he did. It must be HD. And I didn't allow myself to, to feel right. I didn't, it, for me, it meant, well, if I can control this anger, then I must not have it. Um, and so I, I would tell myself I'm not allowed to get angry. And the problem with that is then you never express feelings that you need to express in order to get past things. Um, so it was very hard right after testing. Um, I would say a good year of that back and forth, up and down. I can't feel anything really shutting myself down because I was afraid of, of everything being HD. Um, and I went to a good therapist who really helped me with that. Um, and I also went to a really great neurologist who, um, who gave me some really good advice in that even if symptoms are from HD, a lot of the early symptoms, we treat the same way as everything else. Um, and when it comes to symptoms of HD, like make sure you're looking at the big picture. Do you have, so for, for like me, I have depression, um, diagnosed depression, but is it caused by HD or is it caused by my thyroid disorder or is it caused by, you know, something else? Probably all of it plays a role, but it doesn't matter because what matters is that we have a solution for the depression and that we treat the depression. Um, you know, and that's, that's the big part of that symptom hunting is knowing, you know, even though there may be a symptom, we can't focus so much on that. We've got to focus on the solution. Um, if there is, so, um, and we'll talk a little bit about too, like the difference between symptom hunting and actually being aware of symptoms too, <laughs> and finally having to admit to that, but we'll, um, we'll get to that later. Cause Melissa, you've got just a great story on different perspectives on symptom hunting. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, it's ironic because I feel like even for myself, when I try to really, you know, 
um, self-regulate in a non-healthy way where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to overreact. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to like have a meltdown. And the more you try to do that, it's just going to make like an episode even worse. And, um, I, I imagine that was really difficult, especially like you said on that first year to manage that. Um, but I, I think it's great, like thinking about, um, you know, what are symptoms of HD? Like we know Korea for sure. Um, Korea could possibly look like other things, um, tardive dyskinesia, for example. But as far as the psychiatric symptoms, I feel like that's so difficult because anyone can have depression, like that is not directly associated with Huntington's. Anyone can have anxiety, anyone can have bipolar disorder, um, and all of those things. And, um, for me, had I not tested at 24, I would be so sure I had it now. Um, I was in a very toxic relationship with like a best friend. And, um, during the period that I kind of ended that and went through a lot of changes and lost a lot of people in my life and, you know, move forward with my, my current relationship, moved to another state and then COVID happened. Um, and then shortly after that, I had to move my, my brother up here, um, and, and start kind of becoming a caregiver. So all of that just, I, I couldn't believe the, the episodes I was having. Um, I'm not really an angry, get out there mad person. Um, but I do have meltdowns and I remember just like after a really long day and going back and forth with my brother and I was trying to do a lot of things at the same time. Like I walked into the kitchen and I tripped and I dropped a glass and broke it. And I remember my, my partner, Erica was sitting there playing video games and she, she just said, um, guys, I I'll be right back. Cause I was having a meltdown bawling my eyes out in the kitchen. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Like sometimes it's just like the final, the final thread and tip of the iceberg that kind of pushes you over. Um, but I was having a lot of moments like that. Um, and when, when I was younger, I, I did self-harm. Um, and I really haven't told any, but two people this, but I did have relapse. Um, and thankfully not continuous, you know, it was episodic. Um, but I was like, okay, if I, it, it's kind of encouraged my reasoning that like someone messed up only my test in a lab somewhere, like out of the hundreds of thousands of people that have been tested for Huntington's, like mine is probably wrong, um, which makes total sense. And, but like I said, I mean, if I didn't already test negative, like I'd be so sure this was it um, because I was never like this before. Um, so I think just with that, um, for me, at least it justifies the fact that you know, you can still just be a human and have experiences and have changes in your emotional and psychological well-being. Um, and everyone can have those. Um, you know, I think we just have a different lens on it because we are affected by Huntington's and we can't help but think that it's somehow connected. But like you said, like each of those symptoms get treated individually. Like if I was having depression and anxiety, I wouldn't go to the doctor and be like, hey, I'm starting to have Huntington's. So let's treat that. We all know there's not one treatment for Huntington's. What do you do? You, t you do a cocktail and you treat the symptoms that you can. So I think thinking of it in that light, which I can't speak from someone who is gene positive, but to be able to frame that in a way of like, okay, looks like I'm having some depression. And with 
having gone through a pandemic recently, I'm pretty sure 99% of people have depression right now and that's okay. And it's just a matter of like, okay, well, this is something I'm experiencing. I'm going to treat that. And maybe it is or isn't related to HD, but what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like it doesn't matter as long as you get treatment for that. Yeah. Thank you for, for being so open and honest and sharing what you did. Um, you know, I know that's a hard thing to share, uh, especially the self-harm part. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think people need to realize, sorry if I cry guys, <laughs> because I tend to think the worst of myself and to hear that somebody else has done it makes me realize that I'm not alone. Um, but I used to as well. Um, that's how I would deal with things. And it's a very self-destructive way of doing it, but you know, you cope in the moment, right? Like that's how you cope. Um, and so you know, I, I'm with you. I, I feel you because I've been there. Um, and I, I do have to say, thank God for therapy. Cause I don't know what I would have done without it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of life, right? Like you get so overwhelmed with things that doesn't mean it's the HD. Um, could HD be contributing? Absolutely. Could, you know, could it not be contributing? Absolutely. I think the important thing to remember when it comes to symptom hunting um, is our bodies, our, all of our systems work together, right? And so if you're off in one area, you're going to be off in another area. And so they're all going to start working against you um, until you find a balance. That's just how it is. So we can't just put HD over here and be like, this is all HD or this is all because of this, because our bodies don't work that way. Um, it really is finding a balance and however you need to do that, um, you know, whether it's alternative medicine, whether it's therapy, um, whether it's working with specialists to, to find whatever the, the imbalance is, such as um, I, I mentioned thyroid because thyroid tends to be my big one because um, I have Hashimoto's. Um, so my thyroid is, is dead. Um, so a lot of times if my thyroid level is off, my depression gets worse. Um, so, and my anxiety as well. So, you know, those things play a role because if you don't say, you know, you're dealing with depression and insomnia caused by this one condition that's off, that's going to affect your HD as well. And it's something that I saw in my dad all the time. Um, you know, one thing would be off and that would affect his HD. His movements would be worse or his cognition would be worse because something else was off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, remembering that whenever um, we're dealing with symptoms. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking a lot of like I'm I'm a sucker for analogies. Um, and I was thinking a lot about a car, like how many people if your car's ever broken down or had a problem with it you went to the shop and they're like oh it's just one simple little thing no it's usually like a ton of things that's contributing to like the big problem and you know if your car breaks down you know if I'm having a meltdown in the middle of the kitchen with like broken glass everywhere you know is it because I'm out of gas is it because the battery's dead is it is the uh you know is it the brake pads is it you know there's so many different things and I think it's it's all to collectively, you know, maintaining that and whether you're affected by HD or not, like it is about just maintaining the body as a whole, spiritually, psychologically, physically, all of those things. So if one thing's thrown in, in cahoots, then it's definitely going to affect everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So a lot of people don't know that I have received an official diagnosis for HD um, and I have work and I am going through the disability process. Um, I wanted to share this because this is part of that. How do you know the difference between symptom hunting and actually being aware of what's going on? Um, so the reason I am aware of what's going on is because I started having issues at work um, and these were consistent issues. This wasn't just like a one-time thing. Um, I was having consistent issues that created a pattern. And for me, when I see a pattern, then I have to sit there and go, okay, is this something that I need to focus on and, and get checked out? Um, or is it just me, you know, dealing with other things in life? Again, comes back to obviously other things are going to play a role in making things worse. But if there is a consistent pattern over time of it getting worse, not getting better, of all these things, <clears throat> to me, I then have to be aware that this is a potential symptom that I'm actually experiencing. Um, and one of the ways that I really helped myself years ago um, in 2015, um, I went, I decided to be very proactive and go ahead and get neurocognitive testing done because I wanted to know whether or not I would have any deficits from that point on. So I established a baseline with this neurocognitive testing mm -hmm. so that later on, I would know if, if there was a decline in any of the areas. Um, so after I um, lost my job in September of 2022, and there was a pattern, and I finally was like, I need to look at myself and, and be real here. Um, because it was so much harder. What really got me was that I was, I'm so tired. I'm like fatigued because I'm trying so hard to perform at a normal level for me and it's not there anymore. And so it's a new normal, right? Like I can't continuously perform at this level and expect nothing to be off um, because things are. So I got neurocognitive testing done to see if what I was experiencing could be related to decline um, in my cognitive status. And so there are deficits. Um, they did find um, some decline and they diagnosed me with neurocognitive disorder related to Huntington's disease due to those declines. Um, it was hard, right? Like it was no longer just symptom hunting. It's like, oh, wow. Like really being aware that the the pattern was real um, and having, having to admit to that was the hard part. Um, so what does that mean though? Well, it means that, again, um, we don't have a treatment for HD right now. So the best thing I can do is treat symptoms. And so instead of worrying about my decline, I focus on my solutions, whether, you know, I'm having issues. I, I continue to watch my labs. I continue to make sure that nothing else is going to affect me and my HD. Um, so I can be proactive with my health um, because there's nothing else I can do, right? Like that's the, I literally, this, this is all I can do. And I can't sit here every single day and think about if I'm declining because um, it's not good for me. So 
you know, I focus on solutions. I focus on, um, you know, how do we get a treatment so there will be something for me? I focus on, you know, we know that stress makes things um, worse. So reducing stress to make sure that I can function for my kids. Um, you know, those are all things um, that I think about, but it took symptom hunting, right? Like where I started off with, oh, I need this test because I want to make sure I know, you know, because I'd question myself about, like you said, if you have a stressful time in your life and if there's cognitive issues, you know, is it real or is it just related to being stressed out, whatever. And I, and I kind of eased my mind so I would know later on um, and turned it into let's be aware when something actually happens. Do you feel like having that testing done kind of validated anything for you or provided any type of relief in a strange way? It did because I felt like I was going crazy. Um, like just being so tired. I was, I was literally falling asleep at the wheel. I was so tired. Mm -hmm. Um, and just coming home and not being able to process, you know, like my brain, which is, well, my, my brain hits a point of, nope, there's no more. I can't process any more information and I have to find a way to recharge. Um, so I end up having to lay down, but the fatigue is a real thing. And it, and it really is just because I'm trying to work so hard to be normal. Um, and, and to not show any of those deficits, <laughs> but there is, I mean, I have problems with my executive function. Um, you know, I have problems remembering things. I have problems with, um, with organizing, um, tasks and prioritizing and I get stuck, um, and word finding. I mean, I do, I have issues with it and it gets worse as the day goes on. Um, you know, the more tired I get, the more my brain works, the harder it is for me. So, um, it was, it was a bit of a relief to know that I wasn't making it up, that it wasn't all in my head me just, you know, going, oh, well, it's got to be the HD. It was actually something that was there. Um, in terms of solutions um, and also leading into kind of friends and family symptom hunting. Um, so knowing that now and knowing these things um, are like, what have you found to be solutions to help you kind of adapt to that and being able to, to function and, you know, dealing, especially with like with memory or with like um, keeping on task and time management, things of that nature. Um, And with that, I want to couple it with being, because you, you are in a relationship and, um, and I'm wondering with your partner specifically, if you've talked about what symptom hunting looks like maybe for them and their perspective of you, Um, along with any other families and friends and what that might look like in terms of, you know, having a discussion and giving permission or saying, you know, when is or is not a good time to, to bring up what symptoms you are noticing. Yeah. So let me start with the whole symptom hunting from loved ones part. So when it comes to um, family members, specifically like people like my mom, you know, it's, it's hard because if you get angry for any reason, some people are just like, oh, well you got angry. So you must be, you must have the 
the disease or this is affecting you. And that's very hurtful um, because it makes you feel like you don't have the right to feel anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times I will not accept anything for like, I set the boundary of you're not allowed to talk to me about this um, for, for situations like that. Um, And family members tend to be the ones who do it the most. Um, So I have specific, I have very small circle of, of just a couple people in my family that if they actually came to me and said they saw something, I would believe them. Um, And they are, they have permission to tell me if they see something like I've told them, if you see anything, please tell me. Um, My husband, yes, is one of those people. Um, So, because I do trust him to do it. Now, I don't, like I said, I don't trust my mother um, to do it. Um, And it's hard too, right? Because when you're married or when you're in a, in a relationship, a romantic relationship, people get angry and sometimes they say things that they don't mean. And you really have to communicate like this is, is off limits. Like this is a no-go area. You, when we argue, you can say stuff except for attacking me in this way. Like I realize, like you, you tell, like my husband gets angrier than I do, um, over things. And, and, you know, we've been married for, it'll be 19 years this year. Um, so obviously we've said things to hurt each other before when we've gotten really mad. I think everybody does that, but he also knows that there's certain things you don't say to me. Like it's, it's beyond just anger. It's hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've had that discussion and we've communicated that. Um, but I think that for me personally, I have friends in the HD community, specific friends in the HD community who know enough, like they know about HD. So I'm comfortable with them coming to me and saying, Hey, you know, I'm concerned. I see this because I trust them. Um, and that's not everybody in the, in the community, but specific people, um, you know, that I know would be very honest with me and and tell me outright. Um, so I think it's, very important to have those discussions to give permission and also to set the boundary of no you can't do this um because it's such a touchy personal subject um and can be very hurtful yeah and I've never um with my family members um until recently like my sister has had symptoms for a while and you know me being super involved I've always been like Hey, FYI, here's this information. And they've been like, okay, great. And put it in a drawer. And I've always been very respectful of their space. And when they do want to, you know, address it and talk about it. And for me, my biggest thing was that I just wanted everyone in my family to know that when they did need something, when they were ready, like I hope that they did turn to me, that I had the resources available. Um, and fortunately with my sister, um, when they were ready to get her to see a doctor or to get on, you know, some type of antidepressant or something, um, they did reach out to me and that felt nice. And I was able to kind of validate like, okay, you know, I can, I can see where you guys have been seeing this and you're deciding to like get some help about it. So I've never have outright said anything to anyone, but I wonder what you feel like about people who you know, obviously are very knowledgeable. They're within the HD community. They're affected by HD. 
Um, because I've, I've had a family member say to me that they, I don't see them often, but, and the one time I did last time I did, they said that they always got very anxious to see me and hang out with me because they were worried that I was looking for symptoms and they're untested at risk. They don't even like to talk about it. Um, so, you know, if I do see family, it's hard for me to not talk about it because it's a lot of my life and what I'm doing with things, but I try to be very respectful of that. And so for me, that was hard to hear because, you know, it was, Huntington's is very closeted growing up. And it was, for me, it was like, my mom is the only person in the world with Huntington's. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. And so when I did start to get super involved, um, you know, some people in my family were like, uh, you know, that's not really for me. And I'm like, okay, cool. It doesn't have to be for you. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And if you need anything, let me know. Um, and, and even like, you know, my brother will be like, oh yeah, I got mad at work and I kicked a box, but it's not HD. And I'm like, no one said it is. I didn't say anything. I'm like, I, so I feel like he's preemptively thinking that I'm thinking that, but I've in a very difficult way, I've tried to train myself not to think like that because when I was living with like my one brother, I remember I had a meltdown because he left the water running and I called my best friend and I was freaking out. And she's like, is it possible that he just forgot to turn off the water? And I'm like, um, I guess people could do that. Right. <laughs> and anyone can forget to turn off the water, you know? So it was for me that that period of my life was learning to recognize like, oh shit, like you can be a human being and you can forget things and you can get like, you know, a bit irrational at times and get upset about time you know, and it, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's HD. So that was kind of a mod podge of, of stuff to put out there. <laughs> yeah. But you're one thing I know about you is, is that you're so respectful, um, you know, and, and I think really, if you just communicated with, you know, your loved one that you, you realize that she has this fear because she's not willing to, to approach it right now. And that's okay. Right. Like she's at risk. If she doesn't want to know, that's fine, but she's struggling in her mind, which we've all been there. Um, and just to, you know, communicate with her. I realize like you feel anxious when I'm around because you're afraid of, of this, but I promise you, I won't do it. You know, this is, this is just because I'm involved. Doesn't mean I'm going to come and tell you, you know, when you're, when you're not ready to hear something and just make that promise to her. And it would probably relieve her mind just because, I mean, you remember what it's like to be at risk and sit there and wonder, and, you know, if you're not ready, um, and somebody tries to tell you something like it sucks. Um, so maybe just even reassure her that that's not what, you know, you'll promise to never do that unless she specifically asks you. Yeah. Cause I want to note too, like, you know, obviously being able to go to convention and now knowing, you know, over a thousand people affected by Huntington's, um, you know, there have been people who, you know, just kind of stop going to events and naturally you worry about them. But for me, I try to note that, especially if they are someone who is starting to have symptoms, like I can't imagine how difficult that is to, you know, go to a space like that where, you know, every single person knows what that movement means. Um, and I could imagine that feeling very overwhelming, especially if you're already dealing with like your circles at home and your friends and family. And, you know, um, even 
you know, coming to an understanding about the symptoms you're experiencing, like you said, with, with changes with work and doing the neuropsych testing. Um, so I feel like that's all. So I, I just want to note too, that, um, it's okay for people to have that space. Um, and whether they're gene positive and it's actual symptoms or whether they're gene negative or at risk, and they're just having a rough time at life. And, um, if you are someone like that and to the, to the general audience, if you are someone like that and you are struggling, um, I just hope that you have someone who can understand that you can talk to about it. And, um, if you're not ready to face, you know, 800 people at a national convention, like that's okay. You don't have to, you know, and whenever you do come back, we're going to be there with open arms. Yeah, absolutely. And to, to give a different perspective where you mentioned somebody starting to experience symptoms and being around others at a convention may be hard. For me, I have a harder time being around my friends that are not in the HD community and, and my family members than I do somebody who's aware of HD. And the reason for that is when I go to a convention and if, if I have symptoms, nobody cares because mm -hmm. they're all dealing with HD in some way. So for me, it's actually more comfortable because I'm around people who understand and who aren't going to judge me for it. Um, you know, so that's just my perspective on it. Um, but you're right. If somebody's not ready, like we're going to be there either way. So, um, you know, always know you guys are welcome back anytime and, um, it's, it's gotta be in your time and in your space. Um, big thing about HD, especially if you're gene positive and if you're starting to show symptoms, like you're, you're grieving, mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of anticipatory grief and that's okay. It's mm -hmm. okay to not be okay. Um, because it's for a very valid reason. Yeah. And it's okay yeah. to like get sad or, or upset about that. And you just, I think it's so important to build that safe space where you can experience that range of feelings and not have someone go, all right, it looks like Huntington's, you know, and, and be able to have that space. And I will say events like that, like the national convention, things like that. Um, uh, you know, I can't count the number of times I went into the bathroom and someone was crying in a corner and, you know, I just said, <laughs> yep, well, let's raise our hands in the room. Um, and, uh, you know, and being able to just go over to someone and be like, can I, can I give you a hug? Is there anything that you need? Um, and whether they do or not, but, you know, I think it's just a very opening and welcoming space to allow people to feel their feelings. Um, you know, if you, if, if you start throwing shit, someone's probably going to say something, you know, um, so <laughs> to an extent, just to make sure you're safe, people around you are safe. Um, but I think that, like you said, I think people within the HD community, like you need permission to feel your feelings. And even if you're, you know, if you're a caregiver, like I do, um, I do shelter a lot of what I'm feeling um, because in, and in a way, sometimes I do around people in the HD community because I feel like I just need to shut my damn mouth. Like, what do I have to complain about? I'm gene negative. Like I shouldn't be talking about anything and I shouldn't be worrying about symptom hunting. Like imagine what they're going through their symptom hunting themselves. Um, and so I think it's hard to kind of acknowledge that everyone has like a space and a realm to feel their feelings and being able to just have the right people to go to. Um, and, 
and and express those. So I was going to say too, well, like say when it comes to symptom hunting with caregivers, if you're not a, a young caregiver, um, you know, who's at risk or, or, you know, gene positive or gene negative. Um, I absolutely believe, you know, that, that you guys need to have, like, you need an outlet. Um, but I will say, I don't think the outlet needs to be somebody who is faced with HD. And, mm -hmm. and the reason for that is, um, it makes us feel like a burden, uh, when yeah. we hear, um, you know, like, oh, this is, this is, they had this terrible attitude or they did this, they did that. Um, and it, there's a lot of guilt and, um, it can make, it can make us feel like a burden. So I do, I absolutely want to encourage caregivers, um, you know, to talk to somebody, but like you said, make sure it's the right person. So as not to, um, to affect somebody who is a, um, somebody directly affected by HD, whether that's at risk, gene negative, gene positive, because they've been through that process of, of being faced with HD. It's a different perspective that nobody else is going to be able to understand except for that group of people, just like caregivers who are not affected is a completely different perspective and they're not wrong. It's just, yeah. different. um, so I do want to say that just because, I. I've, I've seen really great caregivers and I've seen really terrible caregivers and I've felt like, um, some of them have made me feel like I don't ever want to be a burden to anybody. I mean, it has really affected me. So just as a way to encourage people to make sure that you talk to somebody and you find your, your group. Um, but make sure it's that right group to talk to that you feel safe with, um, so that other people with HD can feel safe too, with their, you know, group of people that get it. Yeah. I was thinking a lot too, about like how, I guess, what do, what do conversations between you and your husband or some of the people you trust, what does the conversation look like when it's about symptom hunting? If they say, Hey, Lauren, kind of concerned about this the other day or this thing that just happened five minutes ago, um, for you, what do those conversations look like? And for you, like, what is the best way for someone to, that you have, you have found that is a, the best way for someone to approach you? Um, so for me, um, I would prefer somebody not come to me out of like anger in the moment of, of anger. If it was an argument, something like that. Um, I have had conversations of like, with my cousin specifically, cause she's around me all the time. Cause she helps me a lot now. Um, so, I mean, I've told her like, please, I've had her, I've sat her down and said, please, if you see anything, please come and tell me that you're concerned about whatever. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with somebody coming to me, you know, not out of anger and saying, Hey, you know, I, I saw this and I'm concerned. And I just think maybe, um, you should talk to somebody about it or not even you should talk to somebody about it, but I was concerned about this. I don't know if you knew about it or not, you know, that type of thing. Um, but if I haven't had that conversation with somebody, uh, then it's probably not a good idea to come to me and say anything. Um, <laughs> maybe go to, um, 
you know, even my husband who has permission to tell me and say, oh, you know, I'm concerned about this. Could you maybe address this? Um, Because he doesn't know as much about HD. He, you know, we've been married for 19 years and he's seen my dad, but he hasn't up until last year, he didn't go to any events. And now that I've been diagnosed, he's going to events so he can, because he, he wished that this day had never come. Right. Mm -hmm. So for him, it was, oh, we're going to find something before this happens. And now that, that I have a diagnosis, he's like, well, now I've got to, I've got to get on board um, with, with being proactive. And so, um, you know, if somebody goes to him and says, Hey, you know, I'm concerned, but I don't think she'd be comfortable with me going up. And, you know, I think that's appropriate, but not to come to me specifically, um, unless I've given permission. Yeah. On the, on the flip side of symptom hunting, cause I feel like, I feel like human beings, like we're just, it, it's, we're, we're drawn to kind of always go with the negatives or with the cons, with what's going wrong, what the bad things are first, and instead of highlighting the positive. Um, so I think within symptom hunting, what are like solutions um, that can be done? Or I guess if someone does address you and they say, um, let me think. So if say you were just getting more forgetful, if someone were to say like, Hey, Lauren, you, you were forgetting a lot of things last week, or would you, and, or would you want someone to kind of be like, Hey, Lauren, have you ever thought about like using post-its? Like I use post-its all the time to remind me to do stuff. Um, like, does that approach in any way feel condescending or it feels good? Like if somebody, somebody saying to me, Hey, have you thought about this? Um, and giving me tips. I absolutely want them um, because (laughs) I know I struggle with it uh, and I'm constantly looking for ways to make it better. Um, That being said, sometimes it's, it's hard, right. To have somebody say, Oh, you know what? You've forgotten a lot of things when it's a sore subject for me. Cause I'm so like, I've always been able to remember everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even, even finding a way to just keep it as like, I'm not, I'm not saying like you're horrible. You've done anything wrong. So just even approaching like, Hey, you know, I noticed you forgot some stuff. I have the same problem sometimes and I've been using, I thought maybe you would benefit from it. Um, it, it, it just deescalates into not making it about that person. Um, yeah. And I feel like in a way like validate to, yes. um, kind of validates like, Hey, struggle with this. Maybe I struggle with it sometimes. And I think with anything, it's all about finding tools. Um, you know, even my partner, like struggling with ADHD, like, uh, you know, we've, I'm like throwing tool after tool at, at, at her to be like, Hey, what about if we try all of these things to like get things organized and get you to feel like you're on task. And, um, and I try to balance that out with like, wait, do you want solutions right now? Or do you want to just like absorb what's going on and just be, be sad about it or be pissy about it. Or, um, so, and I, I was like, even for my brother, like when he, when he says, Oh, you know, I'm great. I have mild symptoms and I know that's not the case. Um, my response in that situation is like, I'm so glad you're feeling good. That's great. I'm glad you're having a great day. I'm glad you're feeling good. And I feel like I've noticed a lot of times where caregivers, friends, family will be so quick to be like, but are you? Cause like you fell the other day, you know, and I think it's important to take a step back and being able to validate someone and 
being able to recognize when they're feeling good, when they're doing good. Like if someone worked with you closely, if we want to kind of go with the forgetting to do things track, if someone was like, you know, like, Hey, like last week, I, you know, I'm so like, you, you were doing great. Like, I can't believe you remembered to email me and you remembered we had this meeting and things are going great. You know, there was this one thing though. So, um, you know, how can I support you? Like, do you want a reminder text? Do you, you know, and I think we had that conversation even when we planned for this education day session and, you know, you were like, Hey, if I don't email you today, like I said, I would, you need to text me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, I had somebody outright ask me once, um, you know, why do you want me to text you? Why can't you just remind yourself? Like, <laughs> because I have, <laughs> I have a million reminders set. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, a notification comes up. I literally set, set my alarm mm. at different times, like 10 minutes before whatever to remind me, but there's still a ton of things. So it yeah. helps me if somebody texts me and says, oh, hey, um, could you, you know, take care of this really quick? And then I go, oh, yeah, I, I can do that really fast um, because otherwise I forget like it's gone. <laughs> it's yeah. there. And my husband has ADHD. So it's actually been very helpful because um, I never knew what that was like. I really mm -hmm. didn't know what ADHD was like until I started experiencing symptoms of HD. And I would ask my husband, like, is this, is this what it's like for you? And he said, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, this sucks. How do you deal with it? <laughs> and so asking him, he was able to get, like, he tells me how he deals with stuff or he'll tell me his thought process or whatever. And it, like you work with your loved one and, and talk about like, you know, would this help Would whatever. It's so great to have somebody who will say that, how can I support you and not then give you a hard time about how that's needed. Um, mm -hmm. like needing that text message because it's, it's, um, trying to think of the word anyway, it's super helpful to have somebody who will just follow up with it and, and do it. And, um, because like, that's for me, something that, it, that works. I know it works for me. Um, cause I can have a to-do list in front of me and I can see it, but I can't always prioritize and organize and, and mm -hmm. I'll forget if I don't have my, if I forgot to put the alarm in whatever, then it's not going to get done. And then people are going to be bad at me. So, um, it's helpful when somebody's like, oh yeah, I'll text you and remind you. Um, cause I struggle really bad with that. Um, yeah. I think that just highlights how important it is, is, you know, they say teamwork makes the dream work. And I think within any, you know, HD situation, like, you know, we talk a lot about the person with HD and the caregiver. And, but I, I think that if we can re kind of structure this framework to think about it as like being a team and whether it's with a loved one in a committed relationship or sometimes relationships end because of HD, sometimes people are separated, but they still care for their, for their loved one. And whatever the situation is, I think it's just about realizing that, you know, you can, you have the right to build your team and create your team and identify those people that are that kind of safe space and being able to say, okay, like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to work on. And it's something you're going to have to revisit from time to time. But if you have those people on your, on your team that can 
work with you to provide you tools to give you a space to cry and have a meltdown like whatever it is I think it's just so important yeah absolutely it's it's really nice to have because you don't have to worry with those people um for sure like you know that they're they may tell you something you don't want to hear, but you know that it's out of place of love, not just because somebody's curious or somebody's mad at you or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think this whole conversation is just, we're, we're almost at an hour because this is, conversation, <laughs> but it's so important, right? Like this is, this is stuff we need to talk about. Um, and you have such good insight, um, and perspectives and I really love it. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on, um, to talk about it. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you. You've, you've always inspired me. You've, you know, I've always been like, you know, Lauren, no, you, as much as you may feel maybe like limited, even right now with like the symptoms that you're experiencing, like, I want you to know that you like, you are an absolute powerhouse. Um, I'm still constantly blown away by, how much you are involved in things and how many you know podcasts and speaking things you're doing. And, you know, you're mentioned in a book cause you're like super cool. Um, you know, people, and I feel like you're just so you found a way to be so interconnected with the community. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that really appreciates everything you do. Oh, thank you. That means, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Cause, um, I try really hard to try to make things better, um, you know, for the community and, I definitely have struggled um, recently with, with that. So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. So, okay. I'm not going to cry. No. Nope. <laughs> um, okay. So we're, we're right at about an hour. I am going to have you on again though, because I really feel like we could probably talk about this for another hour, um, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me today and discussing it. And so being so honest and open um, with your journey Um for those that are listening, please make sure that you tune in um, next week. We are going to be having um, the Institute for Gene Therapies on, and it's going to be a really good show. Um, and then following that, we have HD Awareness Month. So um, mm-hmm. a lot of great things coming up, um, up in the next few weeks. Um, and until next time, guys, take care and love you. Take care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.helpforhd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.